Hi everyone, it's Matt. A a quick message from me before we start this week's show. Mine and Mervyn's book, Exceptional Talent, was published a year ago this week. And I just wanted to take the opportunity to say a big thank you to everyone from all over the world who helped to make it such a big success. Thanks to everyone who contributed, everyone who helped us promote it, and of course, all of you who bought a copy. If you haven't read it yet, then it's still available. You can buy it from Amazon or directly from the Kogan Page website. Now, in very much related news, I'm delighted to say that we've just confirmed with the publisher that we're going to be writing a second book, which will be due for publication in September 2019. We'll share more details over the coming weeks and months um, about the topic, but suffice to say it's going to be very much talent related. Okay, on with the show. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 126 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Very often, when we talk about innovation, we focus solely on technology and technological revolutions. However, it's important to remember that innovation is about much more than just this. Different ways of thinking and different ways of working are vital for companies looking for a competitive edge in their talent acquisition strategy. One company embracing all types of innovation is Vodafone, and I'm delighted to welcome Catalina Svejinger as my guest on the show this week. At the time of recording, Catalina was Vodafone's global head of resourcing and employer brand. And in the interview, she gives us some insights into the great work Vodafone are doing in these areas. Hi, Catalina. And welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt, and thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Of course. Um, so I'm Katalina Schwenninger. Um, I'm the, um, until last week, I was the global head of resourcing and employer brand of the Vodafone Group. Most recently, I moved into another exciting area and center of expertise, uh, taking care of learning and development. I've been with uh, Vodafone for uh, over four years. My background is a journalist HR, uh, but done a lot of stints in my career around recruitment, employer brand, and and um, and talent and development. So I'm, let's say, a generalist who has a strong passion for um, for candidate advocacy, for brand, uh, for communications. Now. Vodafone are a well-known brand in a number of countries around the world, but not necessarily in every country that people might be listening to us in. Also, I think that Vodafone do a lot of things that people who are familiar with the brand won't necessarily know about. Could you give us a bit of an intro to the company and some some background and sort of really talk about what you guys do? Of course, and and you are absolutely right. Um, I think Vodafone uh, brand is one of the most valuable brands in the world. And we've been around for over 30 years. We are actually a British startup um, coming uh, out of Berkshire when 30 years ago, a couple of engineers started uh, uh, started this mobile first company. Now we've gone a long way since, uh, since then. And we are now one of the largest telecommunications companies in the world with mobile operations in 26 countries and, uh, and also partnerships with mobile networks in 49 more 
Um, and most recently, we also moved into fixed broadband, and we are present with fixed operations in 19 markets. So a, a, a global footprint, if you look at number of subscribers and revenue, we are second largest after China Telecom. Um, you know, to give you a, a flavor of, of, of the scope, um, we touch more than half a, bi uh, half a billion uh, customers on the mobile side of the world. And, and we have a very strong purpose to use connectivity to help people live a better today and build a better tomorrow. And that's obviously, that's a big, you know, big words. But what it means, uh, it means that, you know, we, we do this to in investing in digital infrastructure, uh, you know, delivering a good network experience, allowing you, allowing us, allowing businesses to connect confidently everywhere at any, any time, right? Uh, in the world of today, when everything is always on, obviously, connectivity, uh, connectivity is, um, uh, is key. And uh, we do that also through, you know, a wide range of products. Whilst we are well known and uh, for our mobile proposition, uh, we also have a very strong um, Internet of Things uh, play. And maybe one of our most famous global brands that also, I think last year in, in Forbes most admired brands is M-Pesa Mobile Banking. This is a product that allows, especially people in emerging markets who don't have access to, to banking solutions, to, to do their daily banking on, the, on their mobile phones. And, you know, this product comes originally from Kenya, where 70% of the Kenyan GDP is actually transacted on M-Pesa. So again, to summarize, a large telco um, total communications company with a, with a very strong purpose um, and, and very, very exciting technology across, um, you know, that we, are, uh, that we are implementing across the market we're in and touching the, you know, millions of lives on a daily basis. That's really interesting because I, I thought I knew pre Vodafone pretty well, but I didn't know you guys were behind Impesa. So with an organization of your scale and ambition, I'm guessing it must throw up some really interesting recruitment challenges. What are the sort of challenges that, that, that you face? I think you touched the, the, the nail on the head by saying, you know, you didn't know that MPSA is in our portfolio. And that's exactly one of the issues we have. I think it's a perception issue. Whilst we are a very well-admired and well-established brand, in the, in the uh, candidate's mind, maybe we don't always come top of mind in terms of the most innovative digital company. Um, it's interesting how that shift changed. When I started my career years ago, telco was one of the sexiest industries you wanted to be in, right? Uh, we, you know, we were back then the digital natives of today. Uh, obviously, right now, especially in the in the mind of millennial candidates, um, that's not necessarily a direct uh, link, a direct correlation. So we we have work to do in terms of communicating uh, all the exciting. Uh, innovation that we have um, from, you know, cloud to uh, M2M, but also a very strong purpose in terms of improving people's lives to change that perception. And, you know, uh, I'll give you one data point. You know, we're looking every year at, uh, obviously, of surveys and, and the, voice of, of the voice of candidates. And specifically, we work with, uh, with a consulting company called Universum, who are I think they are surveying about 2 million uh, students and school leavers uh, around the world. And and we never come up in rankings year over year. So last year we took it at heart. We did some deeper analysis and realized that 
again, uh, there is a lack of awareness around uh, our brand. So we started uh, working harder, especially segmenting and focusing more on this on this population, you know, the digital natives, uh, and and being much more consistent in terms of bringing to life that that innovation, uh, those opportunities that you have on a global scale um, in a company like Vodafone. Uh, whereas normally, let's say, when you are a school leaver, you probably consider a Facebook, a Google, or another digital native for the same time of opportunities. So that's one of the lessons learned we had that although brand awareness is really, really strong, the uh, brand consideration for digital natives was, you know, was quite limited. Um, so that that's that's a big focus of our um, of our candidate communications and of our hiring uh, of our hiring efforts. That's interesting, and I think it would be good to come back and talk about the kind of personalization you're, you're talking about for recruitment marketing um, a bit later. In the meantime, tell us how your recruitment team's structured. How does it work across an organization of your size? Yeah, so as I said, we operate across 26 markets on, on all continents and, and we have a very um, decentralized model. I think I like to call it the most decentralized, centralized company. Um, so I sit here in, in Paddington where our head office is, but really recruitment is done on the ground, close to customers, close to where um, uh, where the business is. Um, but I, you know, I, I lead a global community we have regular calls. We share best practices. We have a very strong um, um, collaboration and ways of working. But ultimately, um, everything you know, um, you know, attraction, recruitment, recruitment marketing is happening in in the local markets. To uh, close to home, we have our um, UK operation based out of Newbury. So I would work very closely together with that team. But they really run their show, right? They go to their universities. They have their their campaigns uh, targeted at the UK um, candidate pool. Uh, I think that works very well. Um, it's part of our it's part of our DNA. Uh, this this culture of collaboration and giving really empowering local markets who know their targets is no one uh, better, right? I mean, there would be no way that I would know a lot around um, how, for example, our candidate base uh, works in in India. As I'm, I'm, I'm miles away, right? So, so that's uh, that's how we are structured. We have around 150 recruiters globally, uh, some in house, some uh, some together with our partners in uh, in RPOs. Um, well, we have a common infrastructure in terms of HR technology, from you know the core ATS to a video interviewing to core assessment methodology that all our recruiters across are, are using, as well as the common practices in terms of what grade looks like, what they should assess, what what potential looks like, what are the uh, traits that we are looking into candidates when, when they join Vodafone. You mentioned when we were talking earlier before I started recording that, that you're moving towards agile recruitment. Could, could you talk a bit about that? We, um, we've been on a journey now looking at agile behind product development in the IT world. And I think we are early adapters together with other companies we benchmark with. And I think one of the best examples we looked at in the market is ING. So far, uh, I think they're the only other company that's not an IT kind of native that's using agile behind uh, IT development. Uh, so specifically recruitment, we are testing agile in both day-to-day um, -day recruitment operations. So if I give you an example, in our Turkey operating company, um, they are now in the market for um, IT developers um, to staff our tribes. 
and they are applying agile, specifically I think Kanban, in in um, in uh, in the end-to-end process. So whereas your traditional model for recruitment would be, you know, you raise a requisition, you place the you place the role, uh, then you start uh, targeting, you do a bit of social sourcing, and then you know in a couple of weeks you put a shortlist together. They said, wait a minute, you know, let's use agile as a methodology, specifically Kanban, which is a visual board of you know, moving your backlog to, you know, to uh, and unlocking the issues so that you can get your product or in this case, your candidates uh, fast to market to uh, to get these candidates in the door in 10 days. Right. And uh, and obviously, and what what's fantastic about Agile uh, outside of your typical product development sprints is that you fail fast and you learn fast. Right. So you can reiterate um and learn from the failures. Um, and as as we all know, you know, when you uh, when you are an experienced recruiters, um, you know, it's it's utopia to think that one size fits all, right? In some, you know, sometimes you have a fantastic candidate, uh, you go through all the process, and in the end, uh, they say no, right? So the typical things always happen. Therefore, agile gives you the flexibility and the learnings fast of of of, of solving the problem. In this case, you know staffing um, a whole IT a high a whole IT team another use case of agile is um, we've completely revamped um, our um, careers website and we have a global careers website as well as local ones so we have adopted agile and we work with an external uh, external coders with our internal uh, UX designers uh, recruiters so we had a cross-functional team and we were able to uh, develop a whole new website experience down to the application flow, uh, so end-to-end into 12, 12 weeks, which would normally take at least 12, 24, uh, 24 weeks uh, until UAT. Right, so again, a couple of use cases on when, when we are adopting agile uh, methodology. And again, it's a learning process, right? We're not experts. We're not even, you know, Scrum Master certified. But we are now um, playing with uh, with agile tools and seeing that um, it's the right direction of travel. So we're very excited on on doing even more uh, outside of the the current pilots we're running. One of the other things that you guys are well known for is the way that you've been pioneering diversity within the organisation. Could you tell us a bit about that as well? Uh, I think diversity for uh, for us, especially in the tech industries, uh, is a hot topic, right? And there is not a single conference that we go or a single article, uh, you know, a single uh, HR magazine where there's not an article around uh, diversity as an issue. Um, and the, obviously, the reason we keep talking about it is because nobody solved it. And unfortunately, you know, all the uh, all the uh, the investigations and and research we've done. You know, led to led to believe that there is no silver bullet in tackling diversity. And when I say diversity, I'm 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 focusing more on gender diversity. But obviously, diversity is a bit is broader than that. You know, it goes into cultural diversity, diversity of skills, of personalities, disability, LGBT plus, and so forth. But just to to keep it simple, um, you know, let's take gender for uh, for example. I think we are. We've done a lot of work in the last couple of years that gained us uh, some recognition in um, in the industry as pioneering uh, company in, in gender diversity. We started first by looking internally and, and analyzing the data. We realized that, for example, women after maternity uh, break, they tend not to come back because they find 
the prospect of working in a multinational really daunting. So we've launched a pioneering um, maternity policy where we allow women to work part-time, be paid full-time for a period to reintegrate themselves in the world of work. This year, very excitedly, we actually launched a global paternity policy as well because dads equally who are leaning in um, they are getting a couple of weeks uh, as well to enjoy the newborns um, and come back smoothly uh, back into the work with new energy. Um, but so that's and obviously when once you communicate that, what's telling the market is telling other women in the market that this is a company where if you join, um, you know, you have an opportunity to stick for long and they appreciate uh, and, and respect the differences uh, and, and, and their work-life balance. Uh, but in addition to that, we also looked at our our funnel, and I think globally we have about a million candidates. And we looked at that the percentage of women applying for roles is is quite limited. So how can you get to a 50-50 balance, gender balance, if you don't have a strong enough pipeline? Well, what you can do first of all, make sure that you attract more women. And we're doing that by um, debiasing text. Where you we use, uh, we're, we're working with a company from US. Um, was using AI and natural language to um, to devise the text of the adverts so they attract uh, more women. Um, we're doing that by analyzing the funnel at every stage of the way, so getting the data to to understand okay what's you know let's say in a, in the context of a 50/50 application rate where do we lose the women? So by looking at the data, we realize that sometimes it's at short list level. Sometimes it's maybe a certain hiring manager not not putting enough women through. So we're doing that on a on a on a constant basis, and we we we've built dashboard around that, and also putting some really uh, strict rules in place around what happens in the uh, assessment stage, right? So the uh, the research we looked at from the University of Harvard showed that. Uh, our old belief that if you put one woman on every shortlist, uh, that would increase the likelihood of her being hired was wrong. We found out from the from the research that actually one woman on a shortlist even decreases her um, her chance to be hired because it's um, uh, it's in detriment as you are always um, comparing her to other you know blokes in this case. Uh, so now we're testing two women, and we've seen that the chances of having a woman hired increased by 50%, right? So, so again, we've tested a lot of either technology or changes of the process, awareness of unconscious bias training and everything. Uh, we, we, we capture all of these uh, ideas in a toolkit, and we've asked all markets who, who struggled in getting women on board to test uh, these things and and we're very happy to see that the needle is moving uh, not enough but in the right direction and, and I think uh, you know we persevere and continue to uh, to pilot other tools and, and changes in the in the process to ensure that we have a, a robust uh, gender balanced um, um, hiring that's absolutely brilliant stuff and I suppose leading on from that, going back to the issues of awareness and personalization of your message and your marketing, what kind of things are you doing in that area? Yeah, I think personalization is, is big. And I think in HR, we are um, we are learning the trade right now, right? We all um, we are learning from the marketing, um, from, from marketing function, we're more advanced uh, in micro-targeting segmentation, um, we started. Uh, we started from understanding that, you know, again, basic understanding. One size doesn't fit all. So whereas in the past we would, we would manage a calendar of content on LinkedIn, for example, on on themes that were 
a more from a company perspective, let's say it's an international women's week, so let's talk about women. We moved away from that to to um, more segmented targeting, right? So we have a proposition for youth, your youth audience and for digital natives. So we would have content around that we know from research that talks to this audience. Uh, of course, the, um, the women agenda is very important, but we also saw that there's a certain age group that um, that reacts positively to this content. So we, for example, uh, from the universal research, we saw that our diversity agenda is not very well known to that audience. Therefore, now we are doing more around, you know, understanding what is really important for, let's say, 25-year-old school leaver women to know around Vorafone so that we'll attract, uh, attract them to, to apply or to click. So th- those are a couple of things we're doing. I think in, in the digital natives hiring, and uh, as I said earlier, we are now um, we are now looking to recruit or upskill people to work in tribes, in agile tribes for product development uh, across all markets. So combination between IT skills and marketing skills. And these people typically are either, when, 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 we, when we can't grow our own, we have to go externally. And they're typically looking to either work in an agency or work in other digital natives companies. So, so our our strategy there is more going where they are, um, joining them in meetups. Um, the tone of the voice of the campaigns completely different. is much more personal. It's much, it's a lot more offline, which was one of my surprises. Thinking this is a digital. Uh, generation always on. I think uh, they love when when they get to meet you, when they meet the people uh, who work at Vorafone. So again, uh, this is another example of how um, we segmented this audience and and deploy different techniques to to be on their heart uh, heart and mind. And again, I think it's continuous learning. Um, uh, I think in, in some areas we struggle more than others. It's also a matter of local brand perception. We have an amazing, um, uh, we do an amazing work, for example, in Portugal or in Spain, where we are one of the top brands for youth, where we see that it's easier for us to get um, to reach these candidates and in other markets, maybe less so. And what we're trying to do is when we have successes, uh, success stories in some markets, we share those and we look at opportunities of uh, deploying the same kind of targeted approach in, in, in other markets where maybe we struggle for the same segment. So final question. We've covered a huge amount of topics in quite a short space of time. And obviously, a lot of the things that we've spoken about are ongoing and developing, and I'm sure will be will be your focus for the coming months and years. But what's on your radar in terms of what's next? What are we looking at in terms of future innovations? If we were having this conversation in 18 months time, what kind of things would we be talking about? What's your view of the future? Uh, as I said, you know, uh, I think I think the future is very exciting <laughs> as, as our brand goes. Um, I have moved out of resourcing, but I work very closely with a new head of resourcing. And, and the themes we're looking at together uh, around innovation is how we leverage AI. And we have great use cases within the company uh, with, with chatbots and AI. Uh, we're now experimenting um, on the HireView platform. We're also experimenting um AI in in sifting and, and recruitment as well, and we've had a couple of successful pilots for that. So that's definitely the future. Um, there is a lot of question marks around AI, and again, it's one of the it's one of the buzzwords right now. Um, I think it's all about uh, you know validity. It's all about making sure we don't build a uh, bias into the algorithm. So we're cautiously looking at AI and scaling it as we learn. 
Uh, but that's definitely a topic uh, that's very hot, and it will get only hotter in the next uh, in the next year or so. I think depersonalization and 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 UX applied in EX, right? So UX methodology in employee experience is another big theme. So we started now in terms of looking at you know what is your recruitment process, looking at what is the what is the journey that candidates and employees go through. And aligning everything we're doing in terms of innovation, process, training around these journeys. Uh, and we are at the start of that, but already seeing that it's very exciting and people like to work um, when you when you always think with the user in mind versus, you know, what our processes and, and tools can do to the user. So those are, I think, the themes that, uh, that we'll be carrying on working in both in recruitment but also in, in, in learning and development, which is my, uh, uh, my new area right now. So definitely watch this space uh, for some great innovation and, uh, you know, from AI to chatbots to, to EX slash UX. Catalina, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you and uh, hope to see you soon. My thanks to Catalina. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.